Hey, welcome back. Today is going to be part two of a double episode about artificial intelligence. If you haven't listened to our previous episode, I recommend you check that one out first. Yeah, and it's about iRobot and Will Smith, so you definitely don't want to miss that. Breaking down human-AI interactions, we mentioned that it's not relevant if AI can ever become smarter than humans and become evil or anything. It's easy to get stuck on that idea, but... That's not important. Even if you don't think we'll ever get there, you can, uh, we can look at stories and, for fun, analyze the ethics that would apply in that world. You have a strange idea of fun. I mean, you're here doing the show with me, so... Yeah, no, it's a masochistic thing. Last episode <laughs> was about how AI might treat us, and you said this time you want to talk about how we might treat AI. Yeah, exactly. Even if we don't have the kind of AI we're thinking about just yet... We can definitely conceptualize it, and that alone brings a million ethical questions forward. And there's so much to think about. <laughs> Let's get into it then, you big nerd. Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. Will Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustache Yonichi, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Welcome to the Wholesome and Heathen Show. You know, Spotify actually determined that we are my sister's favorite podcast of 2020. Wow, really? I'm honored. Well, I guess I should give a disclaimer that she claims it's because it's the only podcast she listens to, but... Still counts! We're the podcast that makes philosophy actually matter to life. And we can become your favorite podcast, too. And we try hard to make philosophy not boring. We make it make sense through pop culture. I'm Wholesome. And I'm Heathen. So what kind of questions do you have rattling around in there, and what movie are we looking at? Well, for questions, right away, we have to consider what it means to be a person. Oh, dang, man. What is the purpose of life? What does it mean to be a human? <laughs> you have no problem being stereotypically philosophical, do you? I mean, Socrates himself said, the unexamined life is not worth living. All right, I guess if you're going to do something, dive in head first. But if we're talking about AI and you're asking what it means to be human, I got to tell you that robots aren't human, my dude. They're not alive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, they're not alive as in they don't breathe and they're not made of squishy meat. But I asked <laughs> specifically what it means to be a person, not what it means to be human or even alive. How are you defining a person? See, immediately... We get into a lot of heavy philosophical questions, which is just the way I like it. <laughs> we usually say person and pretty much always think human in our brains. Hmm. That's a common synonym, sure, but personhood means something kind of different. Humans are people, sure, but maybe, just maybe, people are not all exclusively humans? Oh, all right. Yeah, all, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. I get that. But you're saying some people aren't human, like the lizard people that secretly rule the world? Oh, dude, the Denver airport is full of clues to show you the truth. Open your eyes, sheeple. So, for example, sheep are not people. But some people are sheep. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, but that's not really what I'm getting at. <laughs> I feel like we're becoming Abbott and Costello here. <laughs> so when we say human, we know more or less what we're talking about. We're referring to Homo sapiens, our biological species. But when we say person, what does that actually mean? 
See, personhood implies certain traits. It's like how we talked about sentience last time. We said last time that animals who are less intelligent than us can also be sentient because they feel things. They have emotions and experience happiness, sadness, fear, suffering, so they're sentient. So being a person is similar, but it's not the same thing, obviously. Or else there wouldn't be another word for it. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty perfect comparison. I'm not entirely sure what defines a person, but it does imply a certain degree of consciousness. This could be the completely wrong direction to take this, but we get some sense of personhood by looking at certain animals. You ever look at a monkey's hands or a raccoon's? That's wild that you bring that up. Pun intended. I was just <laughs> hanging out with some monkeys today. Dude, that is no way to talk about your friends. Oh, you dingbat. I was at a monkey preserve, preserving monkeys and all that good stuff. Okay, so tell me about their hands. <laughs> They're really cool, but yeah, also creepy because of how similar they are to our hands. I, I mean, I, I know that animals are intelligent, but usually we put them on a completely different level than ourselves. But when you see these monkey hands and how they act and reach and grab things, whew, it reminds you that we're also animals, just a little less naked. Yeah, speak for yourself. But I've, <laughs> I've got to take this moment to remember what my 11th grade anthropology teacher taught me. Monkeys are evil. Apes are good. I got to stop doing this via webcam. You hurt to look at. Um, isn't anthropology <laughs> the study of humans? I mean... Yeah, but you got to learn something about the the wider category we're in first. So monkeys, apes, humans, we're all primates. But getting back to personhood, most of Europe has actually banned experimentation on great apes. Great apes being specifically gorillas, orangutans, chimpanzees, and bonobos. Don't we share some crazy high percentage of our DNA with chimpanzees? I'm pretty sure we're like 95% the same, if not more. I feel like you're just insulting yourself at this point. Dude, you're, you're just taking my job. <laughs> but for real. But for real, most European countries did ban scientific testing on these beautiful creatures because of their level of intelligence. And we know some other animals are crazy smart too. I mean... Whales and dolphins have complex social dynamics, elephants have strong family ties, and they even have burial rites, and or like burial rituals, I guess. This is what we're talking about with personhood. Well, tell me if this makes sense. We usually think of animals as not nearly as smart or complicated as us, but in cartoons, they are. Bugs Bunny is a rabbit and Mickey Mouse is a mouse, but in those worlds, they have the same intelligence as humans. So Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse are not humans, but they are people? Yes, actually brilliant. Yes, that that's exactly what we're talking about with personhood. Like, if real bunnies were like Bugs Bunny, we would have to see them differently, and they would deserve rights for sure. Or like uh, house elves and goblins in Harry Potter. They're highly intelligent creatures. And because of that, they're treated differently than an owl or a cat is. What about aliens? Uh, actually, I believe the proper term is undocumented immigrant. And yes, they're people too. No. They really are people, bro. No, no. You're trying to make me look bad, but the wholesome name will remain untarnished. What about... <laughs> I hate you. What about Martians or Jupiterians? Extraterrestrials. Theoretically, if they existed and were intelligent... Would they be people? It's not theoretical. Extraterrestrials definitely do exist. <laughs> Whether we ever contacted one another is an entirely different question, but they're out there for sure. You're on an entirely different question. We all know you're an ET believer, but what we're talking about here is our <laughs> space aliens people. If bunnies, mice, goblins, and elves can be people, eh, why not Yoda too? 
Oh, so what do we have pop culture wise for today? I wanted to talk about the movie Her. Who? Her. Who's her? No, who's on first? What? What's on second? All right, get on with the show. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the movie is Her, starring Joaquin Phoenix in an unspecified future world. It sounds pretty corny if I just mention the main plot point, so let's give it more background. It also stars Scarlett Johansson's voice. Dude, you got to build up to that. Okay, okay. So, our hero, Theodore, recently went through a divorce, and he's not back to himself yet. Ugh, who hasn't been there? Hope you're okay, bud. He plays back memories of their time together. Silly moments they shared playing around. Intimate memories of waking up next to each other. Mundane details of their daily lives. Dreams of when they used to be friends. He's He's lonely. He's got friends, but he feels really alone these days. One day, he walks past an advertisement for the world's first artificially intelligent operating system. Operating systems meaning, like, Windows, Apple, Android, that kind of stuff. Right, but this is an intuitive entity that listens to you, understands you, and knows you. It's not just an operating system, it's a consciousness, quote-unquote, all that bit. It's called OS1. Then Theodore boots it up and starts talking to it. He asks its name. His personal OS1 decides to name herself Samantha. Samantha explains that she's based on the millions of personalities of the programmers who wrote her. But what makes her her is her ability to grow from her experiences. So basically, in every moment, she's evolving, just like us. She reads books and intakes information almost instantaneously like a computer, but also speaks like a well-adjusted human being. She's able to process that information and use it. And she even teases Theodore during their first interaction. More about the main character. Theodore is a writer. He talks about looking at people and feeling them more than just as random strangers. He imagines how deeply they've fallen in love, how much heartbreak they've all been through, and recognizes each individual as a person with their own entire world, feelings, problems, and everything. That openness and empathy might be what sets the scene for what happens. Long story short, Theodore and Samantha start dating and fall in love. And remember, Samantha is an artificial intelligence. We don't ever forget that since she doesn't have a body. The whole movie, we just hear Scarlett Johansson's voice as Samantha. And honestly, I gotta say, I can't blame anyone for falling in love with Scarlett Johansson's voice. <laughs> but to further explain the intelligence of this AI, Samantha says that she fantasizes about having a body. She wants to know what it's like to be physically alive, to be present in a room. She feels a lot of things. Right from the start, she talks about wanting to experience everything. She feels want. Ooh, beautifully said. And it has to be said, since we're dealing with artificial intelligence, at one point she says she asks herself, quote, are these feelings even real? Or are they just programming? And that idea really hurts. And then I get angry at myself for even having pain. I apologize for, uh, not having as sexy a voice as Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> but you get the idea. Oh, don't sell yourself short. Um, this might sound like a loser dude falling in love with his computer, but if you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor and check it out. Even though it's AI, there's a depth here, an emotional depth that's kind of rare to see in most films. It does a good job of capturing love, what it means to be in a relationship, heartbreak, and all of that junk. And at one point, a character says, quote, I think anybody who falls in love is a freak. It's a crazy thing to do. It's kind of like a form of socially acceptable insanity. End quote. And that's not 
particularly important to the philosophy we're thinking about today, but I did appreciate the line, so I wanted to share it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what is important to our philosophical talk today? In general, I want to talk about the questions of ethics that arise with AI. If AI is actually intelligent and sentient, then is it a person? If so, then it has rights. And even though we created it, it has to be respected as an independent being and not just a tool. Also, I guess that applies to children. <laughs> well, then you shouldn't talk to farmers in the 1700s. But then there are also questions of whether it's genuinely intelligent or just like imitating intelligence. Does it actually feel or is it just going through the motions? How can we tell? Yeah, that's the question too. No, no, I'm actually asking it. How would we know? What's the difference between actually feeling something and imitating feeling it? What sets the two apart? One is real. But before you say anything, how do we define real? I know, I know. <laughs> Emotions are only real as in their chemical balances in our brains. I mean, that is something real, yeah, but I could conceive of something similar with code. Are we not anthropomorphizing computers now? We're seeing human traits that aren't actually there. Yeah, very possible. And her talks about it in the most dramatic way by talking about love. But <laughs> we can pivot in a different direction. How about my beloved Black Mirror? Ah, of course. Black Mirror has a bunch of AI episodes. White Christmas, USS Callister, Hang the DJ, Black Museum. They're all so incredibly deep and provide... Endless philosophical debate, but let's focus on one. And since it's December, let's talk about White Christmas. Oh, that's one of my favorites. We get three stories for the price of one. You want to kick it off? <laughs> yeah, let's do this. Mad Men's Don Draper and an English guy named Joe live in a cabin at a workstation somewhere in the Arctic. Talking about their lives, they say no one ends up in such a remote place like this unless they're running from something. So they start talking about their pasts. Let's skip the first story since it's not too important to what we want to talk about today. The only thing we need to know from it is that in the future world where they live, everyone has this tiny eye camera implanted in their eyes and uh, it like interfaces with the world. Mm. We, we see a woman, Greta, getting ready for an operation. Then under anesthesia, it seems as though things have gone terribly wrong. She's fully aware of everything, but can't communicate with her doctors and nurses. And she sees herself basically pulled out of her body. She sees her body on the operating table. What the heck is going on? Cut to white and we hear Matt talking to a little egg-shaped device that Greta is now trapped in. But she's not her, she's a copy of herself, a digital clone. She's a simulated brain full of code stored in a device called a cookie. So, imagine you woke up one day. Everything's normal, but you're told that you're not you. You're a copy of you, designed specifically for the purpose of aiding real you in whatever it is real you wants you, the, the copy, to do. You still feel entirely like yourself. You feel real in every sense of the word. Your emotions are real to you. Your sense of anxiety is entirely real. Mm. Digital clone Greta gets a simulated body and it feels like her real body. What is this hell? <laughs> well, the thing is that she's not in the real world. She's purely code. She's a clone, which means she's AI. But she doesn't feel like AI. And so she rebels, naturally, what I would do too. Hardcore. And when told she's supposed to be the brains of a smart home for real Greta, she says she's not doing it. Then, in order to break this AI into compliance, 
Matt asks if she'd rather do nothing and sets a timer for three weeks. A few seconds barely go by in the real world, but for AI Greta, three full weeks pass. Three weeks of nothingness, emptiness, aloneness. There's zero stimuli because she's in a program. She is a program. And she can't even sleep because an AI doesn't need sleep. When she still refuses, he sets her for six months of emptiness, which passes in real life while Matt has a single bite of toast. But AI Greta experiences nothing but complete and pure boredom and isolation for six straight months. This is all being told through Matt recounting a story for us. Matt, by the way, is uh, the madman guy. When he hears this, Joe, his roommate, says, That's slavery. She thought she was real. And then Matt responds, Most people would say she's only made of code. She's not real. It wasn't really real, so it wasn't barbaric. So already we're seeing a bunch of great questions arise, but let's finish up with Joe's reluctant story. Okay, so Joe had a fiancé named Beth. He starts off his story saying that Beth's father never liked him. <laughs> Classic story. <laughs> but uh, we see a Christmas scene where the two are at the father's cottage in the remote countryside for a snowy winter. In the course of their regular life, he spills the trash accidentally one day, and he finds a positive pregnancy test. And he's all excited. But Beth doesn't actually want to have it. That's why she threw out the test. They get into an argument, and Beth blocks Joe. Because of that eye link thing we mentioned earlier, this means that from her perspective, she doesn't see or hear him anymore. Her device makes him look like a censored out, like, pixelated figure. And he sees the same of her, but this is all in real life. Yeah, it sounds like these people don't have communication skills. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, so Beth leaves in the morning and she doesn't come back. And because of that block, Joe can't message her or call her or anything. And he asks her friends and turns out she quit her job and no one knows where she is. And then he accidentally runs into her just randomly one day and knows it's her because to him, she's a pixelated person. But he can tell that she's pregnant. So she kept the baby. She still doesn't want to see him, but he's desperate. And, I mean, he gets arrested eventually. And then the block is made into a legal block. Basically a restraining order. And so she cut him out entirely. He knows he knows that she spends every Christmas at her father's place. He's been there with her. So he ends up stalking her. And eventually the kid is born, but the legal block extends to children, so he can't see the kid either. He sees a pixelated figure in a baby carrier, but he doesn't even know if it's a boy or a girl. <sighs> Rough. The Christmas stockings become an annual pilgrimage. One day, he sees on the news that Beth died. He sees her picture for the first time because the block died with her. He's distraught, but the only silver lining is that, with the block gone, he could finally see his daughter for the first time. When he approaches the young girl... He sees that she's clearly East Asian, but Joe and Beth are both white. One of their best friends was Asian. He realizes that the daughter isn't his. But imagine for a moment coming to that realization. For years, you think you have a daughter. You've never seen her, but you know you have a daughter. It's a fact. There's no debate. You've never seen her face, but she exists out in the world. You have a daughter. Then one day, completely unexpectedly, in a literal instant, that fact is completely obliterated. He follows her into the house and sees Beth's dad. <sighs> and this dad still hates Joe and tells him to leave. Where's my daughter? I want to see my daughter, Joe cries. 
The facts in the real world are one thing, but Joe's daughter still exists in his mind. She has for years. This is a complete fracture from his understanding of the world. And then, as Beth's father yells at him to leave, all Joe can say over and over again is, I want to see my daughter. And then finally, he ends up just hitting the real father in the head with a snow globe that he had bought as a present. And because the father was really old, he starts bleeding from the head, and uh, yeah, he dies. Sorry. Um, and then Joe says he just leaves. He doesn't know what else to do. He just leaves. Remember, all this is happening in this remote polar station that Matt and Joe are in. They're just recounting their pasts. But the cabin starts getting a bit weird, and Matt presses Joe to finish the story and reveal that he later learned that the little girl, the kid that wasn't his, eventually found her grandpa and went to get help, only to freeze to death in the snowy wilderness. Matt hears his confession and says, Woo! I knew I could get it! And disappears. So, it turns out, all of this... Matt and Joe recounting their pasts in the cabin was actually a simulation. The police had arrested real-life Joe, and due to his silence, they basically made a cookie out of his consciousness, and had that cookie interact with Matt. Matt is really great at understanding the human mind, and paired with his understanding of how to break cookies from his job, he's able to coerce a confession out of the AI Joe. See, AI Joe didn't know he was an AI at all, but real Joe never spoke to the police and yet still gets fully prosecuted. Then, as the police are locking up for the day, one officer says he set the AI to have a thousand years a minute and asks, or would you rather I turn him off? To which his supervisor says, no, leave him on for Christmas. And they leave. The AI Joe isn't real. He's an AI, but he experiences a thousand years per minute. So if they leave him that way for just a single day, that's the equivalent of him experiencing 1,440,000 years of being trapped in that cabin with one Christmas song playing on Endless Loop. Which, by the way, Endless Christmas Songs is absolutely what I imagine hell to be. (laughs) Welcome to December, my friend. (laughs) Okay, so that was a long summary, but let's break it down. All right. The first question we have to look at is the digital copies, the cookies, the AIs that are a clone of someone that exists. So in this world, these AIs are created to be a tool. You can view them like a digital thermostat that automatically changes the temperature of your home without you actively telling it what to do, or you could view them like domestic workers like a hired cleaner or a lawn guy and those are obviously very different things for sure but what makes them different besides the fact that one is a little machine and one is a human besides the definitional difference yeah what uh what substantially (laughs) makes them different well a thermostat only has the one job and it doesn't have a life of its own whereas hired help even though it might just be their one job they have lives of their own they choose to work so they can earn money for that life Unfortunately, I mean, some people don't choose. They're forced to work certain jobs, either directly, like in the case with slavery and modern-day human trafficking, or due to their circumstances, like having to work a crappy job due to poverty. Okay, but those are messed up situations. They weren't given a choice with slavery and were treated like work machines, but we recognize that is inhumane and not moral. Right, but why is it inhumane and not moral? It's okay to treat your Roomba purely as a tool for work, but not a human, because humans are persons. Humans are people. 
Yeah, but I wanted to say persons because I'm getting back to that idea of personhood.、Mm. We have consciousness and self-awareness and whatever else defines personhood. So we recognize certain rights that come along with that. There are legal rights, but those themselves come from ethical, moral rights. If we have certain rights because we're persons, then non-human persons also have those rights. And because we don't have goblins or extraterrestrials living with us, we've never really had to deal with the rights of non-human persons. But you're right. Now that we're shifting to accept great apes as people, we're giving them certain rights. They don't have the right to vote or anything, but the right to not be experimented upon is a good start. So, if we had goblins and cartoon animals living with us, they would have to have a lot more rights. At least morally speaking, they would. This really makes me think of a、uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not bad, not bad. But that's that's how we get to the question of how we have to treat AI. These cookies, these digital clones of humans, are clearly sentient. Even though they're made of code, they're conscious. And because these AIs are basically slaves for their owners, it's not moral. I would say it's one hundred percent slavery. And whatever you think about slavery applies to the AIs. Slavery is wrong, and that's what you think about that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I fully <laughs> agree. I'm not. I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just setting the moral balance scale for others. So in that future world, we've got slavery fully accepted again. That's that's crazy. But also not unrealistic. I could see people not thinking of their digital clones as people with rights. That's why we need philosophy. True that. Next thing I want to hit is the time skipping thing. When they're trying to break the spirit of the AIs, they're basically using the threat of boredom as a punishment to force them to do what people want. If we continue along the line of thought that we've gotten to so far, I fully see that as torture. It's kind of weird to think of boredom as torture, but it's it's not just being lame and bored on your own. It's imposed upon them. Solitary confinement can be considered torture. I know it's contentious because legally we don't torture people, but from the psychology side, it can lead to madness.、Um, some have been seen to actually have a shrinking of the hippocampus.、Uh, in studies done with solitary confinement with mice, there's been a 20% deduction in neurons in their brain. So it has massive effects on the psyche of those confined. So, dude, it's definitely torture. And when I torture my Sims by deleting the ladder after putting them in the pool, oh, that, that is sick.、Um, <laughs> hey, everyone does it. What's really sick, if you want to get into it, actually, is walling off your Sims in a room without a door, and then having them light fireworks and burn to death. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Nothing. At least ethically speaking, <laughs> The Sims is a computer game, and its code. But it's not sentient. It doesn't feel. The Sims are little pictures of people, but they don't actually have personhood. <laughs> All right, but but AI has personhood. And yeah, I would never hurt AI. <laughs> You're just saying that for the record, so you have something to point to if we ever get taken over by AI overlords. I mean, it can't hurt, right? But <laughs> but talking about AI torture, there's a very direct example of that in another Black Mirror episode called、uh, Black Museum. That one is absolutely superb too, and there's a character who is on death row who sells off the rights to his digital self. The guy who buys the digital rights creates a little prison cell and sets up the AI there and gives him a, like a hologram body so he can visualize what's happening. Then he charges admission to see him, like a zoo animal.、Mm. It's part of a bigger tourist attraction.、Ah, then comes the really sick part. 
the tourists can electrocute the AI prisoner nearly to death. Then it's reset, and the next person can torture him. It's a really, really effed up attraction, but I can see it appealing to the dark, morbidly curious side of human nature. <sighs> and the visitors enjoy the twistedness of it, but then at the end of the day, they don't see the AI as a real person. So to them, there's no harm in it. But if we see the AI as being a person, then this is an unbelievably unjust thing happening. This poor person is repeatedly being tortured to death and back. And because it's Black Mirror, it takes a step even further and says that at the end of the electrocution, the tourist gets a little keepsake. Like you might get a picture from a roller coaster. Each visitor gets a mini little device with a prisoner in it, almost like mid-electrocution. And if this is a 3D picture or a hologram, then it's just sick and twisted. But... If it's a copy of the AI while he's being tortured, meaning it's another AI... Then it's a person being eternally tortured. Black Mirror. Always getting deep and always getting dark. And there's more. I feel like there are issues with the way Joe's confession went. There's always more to discuss. The real Joe didn't say anything at all. His AI version confessed to a crime, but then real Joe gets punished for it. And also, he probably didn't consent to have an AI made of him. The AI is a copy of him, but does it count as him? That kind of gets into philosophy of identity. Is the AI and the human the same entity? The same moral actor? The same legal agent? It has the same memories, but is it equal as a being? If it is equal, then the person is responsible for the actions the AI admits to. And then, from the legal perspective, most places have a right against self-incrimination. If the two are the same, then maybe legally, the right against self-incrimination applies here. And if they're not the same? Well then, we wouldn't have an issue with self-incrimination, but then the person isn't legally responsible for the actions that the AI confesses to, are they? I'm supposed to ask you the questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe maybe we can consider, like, belonging to some sort of group. Like, if you're in a cult, we hold you responsible to some degree for the actions of the cult. But if you leave, you're no longer responsible for what the cult does after you're gone. You still are for the stuff that happened while you were in, sure, but not after the split. So, if your AI copy hacks into something... You're not responsible because that happened after the split. But if the AI confesses to previous actions, then you are? Oh my goodness, the moral implications of this just go way beyond anything that I'd expect out of a one-hour webisode. <laughs> you know? Way to go, Black Mirror. Way to go, her. And that's just, <laughs> that's what I want to talk about is there's so much there, like just ethical implications of AI that we should consider. Even if it's not real, it's kind of fun to consider. Worthwhile, I think. Yes, yes. If not uh, overwhelmingly intimidating in how hard it is to come up with any solid answers. Um, but uh, I think as long as we're considering it, it's taken us in the right direction. And I kind of dig that. So Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, something I kind of dig is other uh, constructions, if you will, that have been imbued with a certain form of sentience. Um, and if I remember correctly, uh, we had a deal 
Heathen, that you get two episodes on AI, and I get one on the Lego movie. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that deal. <laughs> oh, I know you did, but that's right. So everybody, please tune in next time where we consider the, um, I guess, the life philosophy of our favorite blocky little figures. All right, then. Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse the cloning and copying of consciousnesses to perform menial tasks or to torture for eternity. Wholesome does, however, endorse creating clones of Heathen to insert into a Sims game and have relive all the various tortures he imposed upon those same Sims he claimed were merely code. If torturing truly sentient Sims seems a tad extreme, you can just name all your Sims Heathen and achieve roughly the same effect. Tell us how you would teach Heathen some humility at wholesomeandheathen.com.